This is the Bible in Depth with PJ. Join us as we take a deeper look into scriptures and study the Word of God together. Now here is Pastor Jim. Hey everybody, it's Wednesday and we're coming to you uh, with this week's study. I've been in topical studies in the midweek and I'm going to do a two-parter now. I just finished off with uh, how to fight fair, did that four weeks in a row. And now I'm going to talk about how to position yourself for the best tomorrow you could possibly live because I think Jesus wants to make your life better. Um, now, let me say that as a follower of Christ, obviously, for a better tomorrow, God is in the picture. And He's the big piece of the puzzle. But there's a flip side of that. There are things that God wants to do. And, and, and from the get-go, let me say, I'm not telling you that everything in your life is going to go perfect. I'm not telling you that you'll never have problems. That is just not true. Trials and problems, God utilizes them to grow us, to develop our character, make us stronger. But when it comes to a better tomorrow, yes, God is moving. But there's a flip side of that. And that's how you think. It's the thinking process that matters a lot in our better tomorrows. In Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 7, the writer says this, For as he thinks within himself, so he is. The word thinks is a major word in that line. And it simply means to act as a gatekeeper. Mm, what does that mean? It means that you and I are the gatekeepers of our thought process, of our thinking. At your house, you have a fence around the house. You have gates. You have doors. You have windows. Why? Because you regulate, you decide who you want to come in and who you don't want to come in. That's why you have the gates and the doors and the windows. Well, the writer there says that I have the gate into my thinking process. <clears throat> I'm the one who regulates what comes in and what doesn't come in. And so if I'm going to position myself for my best tomorrow, then I really need to regulate and think about what I'm allowing in my little brain up here because that is a big piece of the puzzle, my thinking. Now, we're going to look at a guy by the name of Gideon in the Old Testament. And I'm going to read from Judges chapter 6 first, verses 6 through 11. Now watch. <clears throat> so Israel was brought very low because of Midian. And the sons of Israel cried to the Lord. Now it came about when the sons of Israel cried to the Lord on the account of Midian, that the Lord sent a prophet to the sons of Israel. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, it is I who brought you up from Egypt and brought you out from the house of slavery. And that's something that God brings you up and brings you out into something better. I delivered you from the hands of the Egyptians, from the hands of your oppressors, and dispossessed them before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live. But you have not obeyed me. Oh, there's the bad part. Verse 11. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak that was in Oprah, 
which belonged to Joash, the Abiezrite, as his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress in order to save it from the Midianites. Hmm. Now, verse 11 should strike you as at least a little bit peculiar. Gideon is beating out wheat, separating wheat from chaff so he can get the wheat and make bread. He's beating out wheat in a wine press. Are you supposed to use a wine press to beat out wheat? No. So why is Gideon doing this? He's hiding. He's hiding what he's doing because the Midianites every year would come in during harvest time. They'd swoop down and they'd take almost all the food and they'd leave them hardly anything left. So Gideon is hiding from them because he's trying to save whatever scraps the Midianites leave them. I want you to think about that. Gideon's mind is settled. All I will ever have because of the conditions and because of the situation and because of the Midianites and everything else, all I'll ever have in my life is scraps. What does a scraps mentality sound like in our head? Let me throw out a few ideas of what that sounds like. My life will always be this way. Well, I'll never be able to college, go to college or finish school. I'll never own a home. I'll never get over this habit of this addiction. I'll never find someone. I'll never be married. That's a scraps mentality. Gideon has a mindset of scraps and then he's hiding in a wine press, beating the scraps out. Guys, guys, think about this. The wine press in the story, is it being used for, what, for its intended purpose or not? And the answer is no. You don't use a wine press to beat out wheat. The wine press itself can be a picture of some of us humans. We're not being used for the purpose for which we were created. We're settling in our thinking. Listen, look, our main purpose as a follower of Christ is to make Christ known. Bottom line, bottom line. But then you also have gifts, talents, and abilities that are unique to you. And you can use these things everywhere. In the employment world, in the church. You could use, it goes on and on. God want, God created you and I with specific purposes in mind, with specific gifts and abilities, and are we utilizing those gifts and abilities, the purpose of which we were created, or are we just settling? This is always the way it's going to be. It's never going to change for me. You got to get the scraps of mentality out. You got to get your thinking right. You're going to live a best life. You got to change that thinking. Now, the second thing I want to say about living your best life is God is going to challenge my thinking. Oh boy, God is going to challenge your thinking. Now watch, let me jump a few verses forward and look at verse 14 and 15 of Judges 6 and it says this, God speaking to Gideon. The Lord looked at him and said, Go in this your strength and deliver Israel from the hand of the Midian. Are you kidding? I'm hiding in a wine press beating out scraps of wheat and now you're telling me to be the guy to go deliver us from Midian? 
these people that swoop down every year, they're scary. And then God asks, have I not sent you? Whoa. Verse 15, he said to him, O Lord, how, how shall I deliver Israel? Behold, my family is the least in Manasseh, and I'm the youngest in my father's house. What's he saying? You got the wrong guy. <laughs> you got the wrong guy. Now, I want you to think. Now, let's put the pieces together. Is this a big task? Yeah, it's huge. But God's trying to change Gideon's thinking. And he tells Gideon this. I picked you. I picked you to go and to deliver Israel, your nation, your people. Deliver them from the Midianites. I'm picking you. What's God doing? See what he does to all of us. He's challenging Gideon's stinking thinking by telling him what? what he is to do. But do you notice Gideon's response? He answered God the way we tend to. He says, how? How can I do it? Isn't that where we get stuck? We get stuck on how, don't we? Well, how am I supposed to do that? That's a monumental task. How can I do this? You know, <clears throat> the angel Gabriel, he comes to Mary. She's a young teenage girl. He explains to her that she's going to conceive a child by the Holy Spirit. <laughs> the Messiah. And you know what Mary says? How? Can, how? How can this be for I am a virgin? There it is again. We get stuck on how. How, God? But did you know that how is God's specialty? When God tells you what, you can't get stuck on how because how is God's specialty. You and I just walk in the obedience of it and God performs the how. Now, let me just be honest with you, though. Every step, and I mean big step, and these are big for me, that I've ever taken that I knew was God's leading in my life. And I've missed it a few times. Nobody gets it right every time. I missed it and I messed some things up. But every big step I've ever taken was terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. You know why it's terrifying? Because it goes against my thinking. It rubs my old nature the wrong way. My old nature is telling me, oh man, if I do that, it's going to blow up in my face or it's going to turn out bad or I start to second guess myself. How many of you guys second guess yourself? And then in second guessing yourself, you start to talk yourself out of it. Some of us are masters at that. I was. I was a master of it. But I, then I started to force myself bear down and say, I've got to do it. If God's telling me to do this, I've got to do it. See, God is always challenging my stinking thinking. But here's what I now know. Listen to a guy who's, who's, who's done this. 
Here's what I now know. The more I step out and step past my how, the more my mind, my spirit, my heart can conform to do what God is telling me to do. There's a stormy night on Galilee. Sea of Galilee is beautiful, but it can storm. The winds can come up down the, the valley there, Jordan Valley, and then kick up that water into massive waves. And there's one night the disciples are out there on the boat. Jesus is not with them. He told them to go. And they get caught in a storm. And these guys are professional fishermen, but they're, they've been out there many a night, and they're terrified. And here comes Jesus, walking on water. I wish I could have seen it without being in that boat. <laughs> and Peter sees Jesus walking on water in the middle of a storm, in a storm, a storm that's terrifying these guys. And he says, Jesus, if it's you, let me come walk on water with you. Can I walk on water with you? And Jesus says, you betcha. No, he didn't say that, but he said, sure, come on. And Peter steps out of that boat. Can you imagine the other 11 guys watching it? He steps out of that boat. He starts walking on water. He's walking on water. As long as he keeps his eyes on Jesus. But we know the story, huh? He began to look at the waves. And he got scared. And he's probably thinking, how is this possible? And when he starts going this way, that way, he, he sinks. And he screams, help! And Jesus grabs him, and in a moment, they're in the boat. Because Jesus is God in the flesh. But let me back up in the story a bit, and let me just point this out. When Peter said, let me walk on water with you, Jesus says, come on. Peter didn't stand there in the boat and say, how? How? He just stepped out. He just trusted Jesus. And let me tell you the result of that. And this is something that you need to experience regularly in your life. And you like, you know, I've heard, you've heard me say it. If what the Spirit of God is telling you is boring, bland, or predictable, probably not the Spirit of God. It's just something you can control, something you conjured up in your head. Because God's going to ask you to step out and do stuff. Now, here's the big issue of that story of Peter. Peter now has an experience, does he not? An experience with Jesus. He has an experience with Jesus. You could trust Jesus with the how. Did the other 11 disciples have that experience with Jesus? The answer is no. No. They observed it. It's a theory in their mind. But Peter walked in the practical experience of not just the what, but how. He walks in it. It didn't matter how. Jesus said, do it. And he did it. And his mind was forever transformed that day. He walks in a miracle. Because Jesus told him what? And he allows Jesus to do the how. Now, let me read verse 16 in Judges 6. It says, But the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you. And you shall defeat Midian as one man. 
What did he, what did he just tell Gideon? I'll be with you. I'll be with you. What did God just do to Gideon? God just inserted his word, God's word, into Gideon's mind. I'll be with you. God is challenging the thinking of Gideon. Get rid of your old thinking. Quit settling for scraps. Get out of the wine press. I'm going to insert my word. I will be with you. You're either going to believe it or you're not. As a son and a daughter of God, you're either going to believe it or not when God beckons you and God prompts you. And you know it's God. And you know that you know that you know it's God. I'll be with you. That's the biggest way God challenges our... But <clears throat> this is the biggest way that God changes our thinking. Moses is standing at the Red Sea. And it's just water. And there's two million people with him. And he's led them out of Pharaoh's area there. But he's stuck at the Red Sea. And, the, and, the, and Pharaoh's chariots are bearing down on him. He says, God, what do I do? And God basically says, quit your crying and go forth. And you'll see the salvation of the Lord. And he says, these Egyptians that you see today, these, these chariots coming after you with all the soldiers, you'll never see them again forever. Okay. Go forth to see parts. And they go across. When they get to across, of course, the pillar of fire stops and Pharaoh's chariots come charging in. I don't think I'd have done that. And when they're in the midst of the sea, the waters come back down and wash them away. In Ephesians 5, in the famous section on husbands and wives, it says to husbands, you're to wash your wife with the water of the word, the word of God. We could take the principle from that. We know that the word of God washes our mind. It cleanses away our old stinking thinking, things that we learned that are incorrect, ways of looking at life that are incorrect, dysfunctional patterns that are incorrect. See, the word of God has to be inserted in us to change our thinking. You're going to have to be your best tomorrow. That's, that's a big piece of the puzzle. You have to insert God's word into your mind on a regular basis. Regular basis. Or you're going to keep following the same pattern. <clears throat> Question. Let me close this way. Why is God repositioning Gideon? I'll tell you one reason why. You know what Gideon's name means? It means cutter down or warrior who destroys everything. But he's hiding in a wine press, beating out scraps. Is Gideon living up to his potential? Nah. No. And why not? Why isn't Gideon living up to his potential? And why aren't some people not living up to the potential to live their best life? To live their best life. Let me take you to this last set of verses. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians 10. And we're going to pick up at verse 
3. It says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive, remember, act as a gatekeeper of your mind, every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Mm. Those are loaded verses. Look what he, look what, let me nutshell it here. Paul is saying this. We're destroying something. We're destroying speculations. You know what that literally means? It means these are conclusions raised up against God's truth. He says, we're destroying in our head conclusions that are raised up against God's truth. And then he says, we're destroying lofty things. What's a lofty thing? Well, it means an elevated thing, a lofty, like something that it's a partition. It's raised up against God's word. It splits the mind in two. Remember James, the half-brother of Jesus, he says the double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. It's back and forth. Well, that's what Paul's talking about. We're destroying that. We're not back. Our minds should not be split. We're one way, one day we're this way, next day we're this way, next day we're this way, next day we're this way. Where Sunday does not translate into Monday. Sunday, what you learn, should translate into Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, etc., etc. The mind should not be split into it. We're destroying those things. Because if we don't destroy them, we're unstable. Back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and start again and back and forth. And if you live that way, how big is the pile of regret in life? Look, every one of us has some regrets. But you want to minimize those. Because you don't want to get near the end of your life and think, you know, I really should have. I remember when God told me this, I should have. I really felt like God was, I should have. I wanted to do it, but I should have. That's what you don't want to do. You don't want to live back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. You don't want to live for scraps. You don't want to live for scraps. You want your best life right now. And you can start going after it. Well, amen. I'm going to stop right there. and We'll pick it up next time with part two. God bless you. Thank you for joining us. If you have any questions or need prayer, please send us an email to hello at nbcc.com. We'd love it if you would subscribe to this podcast and take a second to rate it. Until then, we'll see you next time.